Hello, friendly people. Thanks for listening to Theory Lab, the American Cancer Society's research podcast. I'm Joe Cotter, here with Dr. Susanna Greer. Your friendly sidekick. You're nobody's sidekick. I would say that, except it's not true because you, I think, played the role of sidekick to our guest today. Is that right? Absolutely. I am so excited about this podcast. Okay, so my professional sidekick is talking about our guest, Dr. Lynn Elmore, Senior Scientific Director of Cell Biology and Preclinical Cancer Research. She's our colleague at ACS, and she's the senior author for a new report called The Blueprint for Cancer Research, Critical Gaps and Opportunities. So it's the last article in an eight-part series that outlines the American Cancer Society's vision for the future control of cancer. And so this report that you and Dr. Elmore and others collaborated on was very ambitious effort. And I really enjoyed uh, the description of how it came together and, and kind of what its vision is. Joe, I am so excited about this podcast because it was an opportunity for us to help elevate a research project that we've been so excited about in our department. This blueprint was a collaborative effort and Lynn will share with us in a really lovely way of how we reached out to experts around the country. So I won't steal her thunder there, but we we wanted to know what are the biggest challenges that we're facing in research and what are the biggest opportunities? And the thing that came through for me at the end of this really long, arduous process was just such a feeling of excitement and hope. And it really illustrated to me exactly what the word blueprint says, that this is fundamentally, these are the approaches that we can take to continue to allow research to change the ways that we prevent cancer, we detect it, we treat it, and that we are with cancer patients and their survivorship journey. So I hope at the end of this, you and our listeners download the blueprint, you read it, you share it with your oncologist, with your friends, and um, just so grateful to Lynn for all of her effort and for chatting with us. Good morning, Lynn. How are you? Good morning. Doing well. How about yourself? I am doing great. It is a spectacular day in Atlanta, and I have to say, I mean, I am so excited to talk to you today. This is Oh, super fun to talk to a friend and a colleague about a project that I am just thrilled about. So if you're ready, we'll dive in. Sounds good. Okay. I feel like we need to help our listeners to meet you a little bit and understand what you and I do and how we work together. So we are both in a department at the American Cancer Society called Extramural Discovery Sciences. And one of the reasons that I'm so excited about this episode is we're going to focus on a body of work that is a recent product of our department. It's a paper that you are the senior author on, and I and some of our other wonderful colleagues authored as well. But before we talk about that, maybe let's just help our listeners understand a little bit more about what we do in extramural discovery sciences. So how do you see what we do impacting the cancer community at large? 
Okay, well, just to start, um, I would like to just introduce, you know, the extramural discovery sciences. This is the research funding arm of the American Cancer Society. And so what we largely do is we support high impact and innovative cancer research, you know, and it's all, mostly early stage investigators and they are in institutions all over the country. And put, you know, quite simply, we impact the cancer community by funding research that can ultimately help cancer patients and their families. And uh, I think it's important to recognize that, you know, assistance can come in many ways. Sometimes it means a scientific advance leads to a new way to detect or treat or even survive cancer. Uh, but I think it's also important to emphasize that research also provides hope to the cancer patients and their loved ones. You know, hope that our investment in high-risk, high-reward projects may lead to another big breakthrough. And what, another way that I've thought about how we and extramural discovery sciences impact the cancer community is often an underappreciated aspect. Uh, because what we do is we launch the careers of future cancer leaders in this country and, frankly, worldwide. You know, this may sound like an extreme exaggeration, but I think you can share some stats, Susanna, um, that it's true. Uh, you're exactly right. I, I love the way that you frame the work of our department, that we provide real tangible hope by funding research that happens at these wonderful institutions all over the country. And you're right, you're exactly right. It spans the cancer continuum, right? We fund this research, like you said, from all the way from we really wanna prevent cancer all the way to detecting it and treating it and being with cancer patients through their survivorship journey and through palliative care. And you're exactly right. The individuals doing the research funded by the American Cancer Society are in general the next generation of cancer researchers for sure all right well let's let's talk about this body of work and help our listeners understand what this is that we're excited about and proud of and maybe how it happened and then what we hope may happen because of it so let's backpedal a little bit this body of work is a is a publication that came out of our department um, it's entitled a blueprint for cancer research critical gaps and opportunities. So I, I think our listeners would have lots of questions about that. Like, wouldn't you already know, right? Based on what we just said, that we're funding this outstanding research across the country. Wouldn't we already know what the critical gaps and opportunities are? So maybe let's, let's explain to our listeners what our motivations were for writing this blueprint. Why now? Why do we need it? Why did we want to share this with the cancer community? Okay, I would say that we had multiple motives and, you know, all good intentions, of course. But first, we wanted to convey the important message that we still don't have all the tools that we need to prevent, detect, diagnose, treat, and survive cancer. But with a strong commitment to research, we may one day. So that was one of the motives. The second motive was we really wanted to identify and communicate research challenges and opportunities that cancer experts across the country felt were important and important for radically changing the future of cancer. And then the last motive was to take all this information and synthesize it and present it in a way 
that we would not only inform a diverse readership, but also guide, inspire, and encourage collaboration. Anything you want to add to what you were thinking as you were busily developing sections and integrating this, these great insights that experts around the country provided us with? Well, I, I really love the way that you summarized it and probably the, the piece that, two things that resonate with me. The first is that we, because of the job that you and I have and our colleagues, we fully understand that while we don't have all of the tools yet that we need to understand and solve cancer, we may, but it, it will require this continued excitement around and investment in research. So that that really resonates. And then I think if you're going to postulate that, you need to say why, right? And the why are the challenges. So here is where we see work that remains to be done, but yet framing it in a way that we are showcasing the work as here are the places with targeted strategic investment, we can make an enormous impact. And and certainly that theme of collaboration, oh gracious, came across in every section of this article that none of this work can be done in silos. And so I think the word that you used was really trying to gather some excitement and momentum and synthesize a document that could be utilized to accomplish those goals. So I love that. We touched on this a little bit, but I think it would help our listeners to understand that these weren't ideas that you and I and our colleagues came up with, that we really outsourced in the beginning our questions around what are the biggest challenges and opportunities all over the cancer landscape to experts around the country. And we we went about gathering information um, from scientists and clinicians who are truly on the front lines. So I think that that the reason the article is so collaborative in the recommendations is that the way we started our approach was extremely collaborative. So would you share a little bit about maybe what we did just to, just to kind of yeah. start the article? Yeah, I think that's really helpful. And I appreciate that question because I think our, our approach was quite unique. And so just to back up a little bit. So the data collection phase of this large collaborative blueprint, research blueprint, started by consulting with at least three experts in the 20 most common cancers in the United States and then also childhood cancers. And um, we were very deliberate in selecting our cancer experts. And I think this is really important because it really speaks to how we value diverse perspectives. And so at least one of the experts had to be focused on fundamental discovery or doing work preclinically. And so what I mean by that is work in the laboratory and experimental models. And if it's anything human, it's probably cells in a dish or a piece of tumor or maybe leveraging information in a pre-existing data set. Um, and then the second expert had to be a clinician. So somebody who is on the front lines treating cancer patients or those at risk for cancer. And often these experts were um, clinician scientists. So they're seeing the patients. They're taking those real world perspectives back to their research laboratory to test new ideas. 
And then the third expert, and sometimes we had more than three for each cancer type, but at least one had to focus on applying the knowledge and tools we already have in hand to help prevent or control cancer in communities. You know, so I, our approach was, I would describe as very holistic. Um, and, I, and I think it's interesting that we started with this focus on these 21 types of cancers that are real problems in our country. But interestingly, the ultimate published product was actually presented in a tissue agnostic roadmap for cancer research. And you know, what I mean by tissue agnostic is um, that we were identifying research opportunities that are not focused on one cancer type specifically. And perhaps, Susanna, you can chime in because this is really an area of your expertise and the area that you manage in your research por portfolio is some of those innovative um, precision medicine strategies. I appreciate you highlighting that because, first of all, we tried to be as unbiased in our approach as possible. Because you're right, you, you and I and our colleagues were all scientists and think about ways and have areas of expertise, but by pulling in scientists and experts from around the country who were, <laughs> I like the maybe military comparison, I don't think this is what you were trying to make, but you know, we pulled in scientists who were behind the lines doing that developmental work. We pulled in scientists and clinician scientists who were on the front lines, right? They're in that real world situation. And then we maybe pulled in folks who were running strategy and tactics and applying the, the research from those other two categories. And we really asked them in this holistic way, as you said, what are your challenges? What are the opportunities? And what was so interesting is that despite the fact that these experts were spread across the burden of cancer, looking at these 21 different disease types that have the greatest impact on Americans, these themes emerged. So it, it wasn't our goal, but, but from these conversations, themes emerged. And one of them, you're exactly right, just as a great example, is the need for increased research in preci precision medicine across all cancer types. So how do we treat your cancer and the specific genetic mutations that you have and the ways that you have lived and where you lived and how you lived and how do we make predictions on your risk and which types of interventions might work best for you and what outcomes you might have based on everything about you including your genomic makeup. And I think that it's so interesting to me that those themes emerged, while not surprising, still interesting because of the unbiased approach that we took. Okay, so hopefully we've gotten our audience super excited about this article that we've put together and the amount of collaborative research that went, incredible amount of work that went into it. So tell us, let's, let's share some themes from this Blueprint article. Okay, so like we said, we talked to over 90 cancer experts across the country, and really the themes that are emerged, we could organize into four general areas. But then we also identified some really hot topics that we called emerging areas, and we define these as those that are rapidly evolving fields that are already beginning to impact cancer care. 
And then we also identified a handful of topics that we called cross-cutting issues. And those were health equity and access to care and survivorship. So those were things that really had broad implications independent of the cancer type. So I, I don't want to get into the weeds here, but I would love to just share briefly the four priority areas with a few take-home messages. Is that all right, Susanna? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Let's dive in. Awesome. Well, the first is, no surprise, was cancer screening and early detection. And really the bottom line here is we need new tools and we need to better apply the existing tools we have. The second priority topic was precision cancer therapies, including, which I'm sure a lot of you have heard about because it's very exciting areas, immunotherapies. So the bottom line here is that there's been amazing progress that has been made um, in the way we can specifically kill cancer cells while ideally sparing normal cells and tissues. But the important thing is, you know, there's still many cancer types without satisfactory treatments. And in some cases, we seem to have an effective treatment, but only a subpopulation of those cancer patients benefit. And we don't know why. So the third priority area relates to the second, and that is resistance to cancer treatments. There's a lot essentially that needs to be done to better understand how cancer cells are so crafty and resourceful and how we can sort of outsmart them. And then the fourth identified priority area was this recurrent theme that we need better experimental models that mimic the human condition. Because the reality is, particularly in the oncology space and the oncology drug development space, what we see preclinically, whether it's in a rodent model or a more high-tech uh, high um, organoid that we've developed in the dish, our preclinical data doesn't always pan out to encouraging, you know, promising clinical trials. And so um, that was an area of identified high priority need for research. Anything to add? I know you were busy developing lots of content for these areas um, during the development of the research blueprint. Well, I, I think that while none of these areas was... I would say unexpected. It was really interesting to me the amount of cohesion we found around excitement for things like immunotherapy, right? Exactly. That was maybe chastened because of the challenges, because I think many of us, and I'm an immunologist, so I would put myself in this camp, we had such high hopes for immunotherapy 10 years ago. And then went into perhaps a little bit of a valley in the last couple of years as the reality of our observations that while the potential for unleashing the power of the immune system on cancer is truly unprecedented, we have so much more to learn. So I think we're all a little chased and saying, okay, we perhaps thought we knew a lot more than we did, but, but when immunotherapy works, it absolutely blows cancers just out of the water. And we've seen such tremendous advances in lung cancer and in melanoma. And I think what was so exciting to me and motivating was despite this long road 
that we've been through longer than we hoped and long and it will continue to be that there is still so much excitement in the scientific community and and real dedication to seeing this through and understanding the incredible complexity of not only the immune response to cancer but our cancer's resistance to the immune system so i would say it was uh probably both the trepidation and the hope of this article that made me feel just so glad that we had put this body of work together. Totally agree. All right. So what what's, I mean, you were so invested in this article from beginning to end. So I'd love to know, is there something that, that really surprised you that was in the blueprint? I would say two things that surprised me. And one of it related to the cancer detection and screening section that I was charged with developing. Um, Because as you know, in the peer review process, you put things together, you put it out to the reviewers, they come back, and it's this iterative writing process, which is actually akin to the scientific process as well. And during some different editing phases, I would go back and I'd be, man, it's outdated already. I can't believe the progress that's been made the last several months. So in some of the early detection, particularly in the liquid biopsy, which is that concept of rather than having to take a piece of a tumor from a patient, which is sometimes hard to reach, um, you can draw blood. And from surrogates in your blood, you can actually detect cancers. And recently, just happened the last couple months, is there's been a very compelling data um, that has been generated that shows from a single blood draw, you can detect many types of cancer and actually with a 93% prediction rate, say where that tumor cell originated. And so this is what really you know, spoke to me as we were writing and rewriting. It was just the rapid pace that science is moving in this space, and particularly in the area of that liquid biopsy. But the other thing that sort of surprised me a bit was just, you know, I was a scientist before I came to the American Cancer Society and I had my own research program. And, you know, sometimes you tend to be a little bit self-serving and wanting to promote your research. (laughs) And something that was surprising to me, I talked to you, I mentioned how we made sure that we had experts and perspectives all across the cancer continuum, all that research continuum, rather. And I guess I would have just thought it would have been human nature that, you know, the basic science researcher that's totally geeked about molecules and cells may really focus on that. And the one in the community um, would really talk about the needs in the community. And that really wasn't the case. I mean, really, these same research opportunities and gaps came up no matter what that expert was really focusing on. So I think, you know, that was a little bit surprising, but it was a really a nice surprise. Yeah, absolutely. I I feel like the the experts that we worked with very much saw themselves as just a piece of a puzzle. I I love that analogy that it, it takes all of us and all of this expertise and whatever you're giving, you can see it as essential, right? Because it's always super annoying if you're putting together a puzzle and maybe you're (laughs) borrowed it from somebody else or the library and one or two pieces is missing, right? It, it kind of messes the whole thing up, but, but you, you can see the whole picture without that piece. So I I loved that the individual contributors saw that, right? They saw their contribution as unique, but just a piece. So definitely a, um, it, it was uplifting to me in that way. All right, Len. So our listeners are reading through the blueprint. What, 
What do you hope that they take away, that readers take away from this article? One thing that I hope they take away is, and we've talked about this a little bit, is being inspired and excited about the incredible progress that has been made in cancer care the past decade, and really to have an appreciate that research played an important role in that. Um, a second hope is, and you mentioned this is a, you know, this is a long article, very comprehensive, and so I really hope that the readers don't get overwhelmed or lost by the number of research priorities or opportunities we've identified or actually the experts have identified and we've presented. But rather, I hope that they view this as, a, you know, a comprehensive roadmap and, uh, you know, build off that roadmap metaphor, you know, for really trying to find, you know, their sites of interest and some of which may be off the beaten path. And the third takeaway is one that I've had after the paper's been published and sort of reflecting, and it was actually prompted because some of my families and friends looked at the paper and said, oh my gosh, Lynn, that is such a long paper and you have cited so many studies. Please tell me what this means for me so I can share. You know, we're proud of you and your colleagues and all the good work you do, but, you know, I need to take home. You know, so this is something that I actually wish I would have thought of or we would have discussed and really... Um, emphasize this in our abstract intro and um, conclusion. But for, you know, I hope that cancer patients and survivors that read this research blueprint, I hope they have experience an aha moment, you know, with the realization that they can play an important role in narrowing knowledge gaps and advancing cancer research. And maybe some of the listeners today are saying, you know, I don't get that. You know, I'm not a scientist. What am I going to do? Um, and a few things that can be done for cancer patients and survivors, if you're eligible, consider participating in a clinical trial. Inadequate patient recruitment remains a major problem in clinical trials, um, which has actually been made worse by disruptions of COVID. The second thing that a cancer patient can do is proactively learn about options um, and implications of sharing your medical data. Um, data sharing, and as we've mentioned um, earlier and throughout this podcast, is collaboration is so important. And so this data and collaboration gives researchers more options for testing new ideas and also exploring new ways to fight cancer. And, and the reality is a lot of this patient information is really left on the table. And it's the routine stuff that nobody is paying attention to. And so I, I really see this as a relatively small call to action for cancer patients that could collectively really have a big impact. And the third way that, you know, cancer patient can contribute to research advancement is if you have benefited from a cancer treatment or intervention, please widely share your story and emphasize how cancer research has been a game changer for you or your family or your loved ones because we know advocacy for cancer research is so important. Yeah, I, I think that that is such a critical piece of the blueprint is how much we began to understand the importance of individual cancer patients. We've talked about precision medicine and how to treat those individual diseases as they manifest in each of us quite differently, how to have conversations with cancer patients and encourage them, as you said, to participate in clinical trials, to consider sharing their data, to 
have conversations with their oncologist and make sure that they are understanding their care, their choices. And I feel like we are entering a really different age of patients having so much more control of not only the kind of care they receive, but where they receive it. Do you receive it at home? Do you receive it inpatient? Do you receive it outpatient in the hospital? And being a part of it and what a great place to start. And I I can imagine no greater way to feel some control over something that has happened to you than by, which is cancer. None of us chooses to invite cancer into our lives or the lives of our loved ones, but to participate in the process and to begin to understand the implications for that participation on maybe you, but also maybe your friends and loved ones and children and grandchildren um, so that their cancer experience can be quite different. So I am really excited. And as you said, you don't have to pick up the blueprint and read the whole thing. You can pick it up, read the sections that are interesting and relevant to you and share it, share it with your cancer community and those you love and your oncologist. And we would love for everyone <laughs> to uh, read this and be motivated by it. So Lynn, I have just one more question I really want to ask about the blueprint. And that is that we started our conversation by introducing our listeners to our department at the American Cancer Society, to the extramural discovery science work that we do. And I'd love to know how our work in our department, as we fund research and researchers all over the country, how do we seek to answer some of these challenges presented by the blueprint? And, and I guess I would say I see a lot of parallels in our approaches to how we wrote the blueprint and to how we do our work. So I'd, I'd love to hear your perspective. Yeah, that's a great question. And it's interesting that you say you see parallels because I I too see a number of parallels. And one is in both the way we approach um, appealing to the scientific community for their ideas, it's very similar to the way we turn to the experts in our country in cancer to get their insights and opinions. So, you know, I do think there are parallels. You know, one thing we said at the beginning in experimental discovery sciences, one thing we have is we have a very broad research portfolio. And I'd like to just build upon that um, just for a minute to say, you know, what we do is we don't tell the researchers what needs to be done. We let them come to us with their innovative ideas. And then we have a tried and true, you know, selection process that is really good at selecting those, you know, the rising stars, but also that potentially breakthrough research. And so I think, you know, really valuing that diverse perspective from the cancer community, whether it's in wanting to pursue research questions or trying to help us identify those research opportunities and gaps like we've done in the articles, very similar approaches. You know, the other and the other thing I would say about, you know, sort of a parallel between the way we view funding research in our extramural research department and our article was it was really this mindset of collaboration. And, you know, it's the idea that it takes a village. You know, one of the themes of the blueprint is to maximize on opportunities and potential. And, you know, that happens when we're highly collaborative. 
and that includes sharing resources and data, and that's the way we're going to have the biggest impact for cancer patients and caregivers. Uh, but to compare that with our, you know, our funding mechanism, you know, we predominantly fund early stage investigators, and a big part of that effort is to ensure that that these future cancer leaders have the support they need. This is village of support. So similarly, um, we value and encourage collaborations as well as mentoring and diverse teams to maximize that cancer training and research. You know, so I would say, you know, to sum up in two words, sort of the similarities of these parallels between our approach to funding cancer research and this cancer research blueprint is just to simply say we're, you know, we're better together. The only thing I would add is to say, you never know. I feel like I, it's so, it's so difficult sometimes to emphasize the importance of that developmental research where we are trying to understand what different proteins and pathways in cells do. What are they responsible for? Because oftentimes we don't know how cancer cells might manipulate those proteins and pathways. And I think the blueprint is a really lovely way for us to share how some really developmental science have led to, as you said, some absolutely incredible discoveries that have shifted the way we diagnose and treat cancer. And I mean, one of the best examples, I mean, there's thousands of examples, but because I'm an immunologist, we, you know, we had no idea when we were trying to understand decades ago how immune cells recognize things that are different. How do immune cells recognize and destroy viruses and bacteria that that, that, that would be relevant to manipulating immune cells to recognize cancer? So we never know. And I agree with you, the, the hope and collaboration that comes from this article is just mind-blowing. So thank you, Lynn, for all your hard work. We're grateful to you. Well, thank you and appreciate your collaboration on this project. 100%. All right. One last question before we let you go. I'd, I'd really like to know if, and you shared a lot today that I think will resonate with our listeners, but is there a particular message that you, as a ACS staff member, would like to share with our listeners who are cancer patients and caregivers and survivors? Yeah, and I think we've touched upon this, but I would like to just emphasize, I mean, this is a time of great excitement and hope. The cancer research community is, you know, leveraging technologies and scientific advances and um, just real progress has made to achieve this goal of personalized cancer care. You know, we are really doing things that at one time were just aspirational goals. You know, it's no longer science fiction. We are actually being able to treat metastatic diseases in a targeted way. And as I mentioned earlier, it looks like perhaps one blood draw is going to be able to detect cancer with confidence. You know, these are really exciting things. Um, and But to continue and to keep the momentum going, we need to have a continued commitment to cancer research. And, and it, with that commitment will come, you know, moving that needle farther for better preventing, detecting, treating, and surviving cancer. So well, a lot of optimism. 
a lot of optimism, a lot of hard work, a lot of kind of reality checking, but fundamentally this incredible drive from thousands and thousands of researchers and clinicians across the country to uh, impact all of these diseases that we call cancer. So you and I need to get back to our, our jobs to make that happen. Thank you so much, Lynn. We're grateful for you. Thank you.